שיעור מספר 184, עלייה, פרשת שלח, הרב עזרא ביק. So I intended to begin with a quote, and then I checked to see if it was uh, an accurate quote, and it's not, its inaccuracy turned out to be one of the themes or the main theme that I want to speak about. Uh, talking about Aliyah in Parshat Shlach, so I was immediately, I began, I thought I would begin with the famous quote of Chazal, She'eretz Yisrael gvoha mikol ha'ratzot which is appended to places where it says you should go up to Eretz Yisrael. And I assumed, or actually remembered, which is less significant than it was when I was younger, uh, but I assumed I remembered that Rashi says it someplace in the Pasha, because the Pashat Shlach, as we will see, is uh, replete with references to La'alot to Eretz Yisrael. And then I started looking and couldn't find it. So I did what I learned to do in the last few years, and I asked the uh, CD of the Proyecta uh, Shut, and Rashi in Sefer Bamidbar does not mention those words, Eretz Ogvorami Kol Haratzat. This is less surprising than perhaps uh, would be apparent, since the quote is taken, it's found in a number of places in Chazal, but the original place is in the Sifri, and the Sifri doesn't mention it in Parshat Shlach. Interestingly enough, the Sifri does have it in Parshat Hashavu, in Parshat Dvarim, where there's a short reference to Parshat HaMagalim, to the subject of the, of the spies. And, uh, and there, the Sifri does have this quote, Mikan, from something written in the Parsha, it says, from here we learn that Eretz Yisrael is higher, is more elevated than any, than any other place. But interesting, and, and Rashi in fact quotes it, in Parshat, in Dvarim, the same place where the Sifri exists. But the Sifri is very interesting as to when it says it. The, uh, in, Parshat, uh, in Parshat Dvarim, when Moshe Rabbeinu uh, repeats the story of, uh, of the Meraglim, so you, you, have the following, you have the following statement. Um, this is uh, Dvarim, Perek uh, Aleph. The Jews, the, the story is different than the story in Pashat Shalach. That's not, that's not my topic. The number of contradictions, people have spoken about it. Um, but it says that the Jews came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said that they want to send, they want to send Maraglim, and Moshe Rabbeinu agreed. Um, and Moshe Rabbeinu took, uh, took these people, and then it says, Vayifnu, the spies Moshe Rabbeinu had appointed, Pasuk Chavdalit, Vayifnu, Vayaalu Hahara, Vayavo Nachadishko, Vayagluota. On that Pasuk where it says that they turned and went up to the mountain, there's no Sifri and there's no Rashi. The next Pasuk says, Vayikhuvi Adam Ipriya Aretz, Vayoridu Eileinu. They collected the fruits of the, of the land. And they came down to us. We, us is the people in the desert. They were coming to On the word Vayoridu, and they came down, they brought down, the Sifri says, Mikan, She'eretz Yisrael G'voha Mikol HaRatzot. And so does Rashi follow as well, Mikan, She'eretz Yisrael G'voha Mikol HaRatzot. 
So not only is the statement not found at all in Parashat Shlach, where, as we shall see, the word Vaya'alu appears 8, 9, 10, or 12 times, I lost count, uh, in a Parsha where you have two sentences, they went up to Eretz Yisrael and they came down from Eretz Yisrael, the Sufi's comment is only on the coming down. And that's when I realized that, aside from, uh, other than being disappointed and not finding the quote, it's actually a wonderful thing that the quote is not, is not found in the Pasha, because this indicates my main point is that going up to Eretz Yisrael in Pasha Shlach and many other places we shall see could not be the source for the statement that Eretz Yisrael is Gvohami because going up does not mean going up, which is what I want to speak about. Going down, on the other hand, does mean going down, and therefore the, the Sifri drew the conclusion. The statement that Eretz Yisrael Gvohami we all know isn't true. So it's a geographical statement without doubt. But it's not meant to be taken 100% literally. My point is that other places where it says Aliyah, it's not meant at all to mean that. Here it does mean, when Chazal say, they do mean that it's high. But they don't mean it literally. And the indication of that, first of all, we all know it's not true. There are countries in the world that are geographically uh, at a higher altitude than, uh, than Eretz Israel. I say that knowing that I'm standing on one of the highest places in Eretz Israel. Uh, we're now exactly at 975 meters above sea level. There is a point in Nevei Daniel, not far from here, which is 10 meters higher, and a point in Gibata Hasin, and that's about it. But nonetheless, 970 meters is not exactly the roof of the world. And even if you chose to say, well, maybe it's only in the Middle East, but we all know that it's not the highest point in the Middle East either. For those who have had the opportunity to visit Lebanon or uh, even uh, Ramat HaGolan, the uh, Chermon, they know that there are higher places in Eretz Israel. But even more important than that, Chazal couldn't possibly have meant it, since the another version of the Sipri, which appears in Pashat Shoftim, where it says, V'kamta ba'alita ela makom, asher yibchar Hashem, talking about uh, going up to Yerushalayim, uh, the Sipri says, Mikan, v'kamta ba'alita, you should get up and arise and ascend to the place where God has chosen. The statement that Yushalayim is the highest point in Eretz Yisrael is against verses in Tanakh, Yushalayim Harim Savivla, and it's also against the Halacha, because Chazal learned from the Pasuk, that the Mikdash of Yushalayim is on the shoulders of the area and not on the head. Shalayim is deliberately not on the highest point, even in Ezo Yerushalayim, and surely not in Eretz Yisrael. So the statement is always meant not exactly literally, but nonetheless, I still think it's more or less meant to be geographic. And my point is that Pasha Shlach is not meant to be geographic at all, and I want to know what it means. If we look in the Pasha, uh, <coughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going to list a number of occasions and, and sort of see them in context. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu to send Miraglim. I'm not even going to try to translate the word V'yaturu. Let's just treat it as a technical word. It means, it, it doesn't mean la'alot. It does not mean to go up. V'yaturu means to visit, to travel. To, to visit, in some, in some sense. More or less, as its best English translation, but it sounds too good to be true, it means to tour. 
That's what God told Moshe Rabbeinu to send people to do. Uh, after listing their names, the Pasuk uh, summarizes the 12 names. Pasuk Tetzayin. And these are the names of the people who Moshe Rabbeinu sent Latur et Ha'aretz. And the next pasuk says what he said to them. Now, if these are the people, God said, send people to Latur. Then it says, and these are the 12 people who are going to be sent Latur. And then Moshe called them together and said to them, to, These are the people who Moshe Rabbeinu chose to Latur, and he sent them Latur. In one pasuk, two occurrences of the word. He sh- obviously, these are the people Moshe Rabbeinu sent to visit Eretz Israel, and he said to them, "Go visit Eretz Israel." These are the people Moshe Rabbeinu appointed to visit Eretz Israel, and he said to them, "Alu, banegev, va'alitem etaha." Already at this point. There are probably people in the room, not unsurprisingly, who might think that if you're talking about a mountain, it makes sense to say you should go up the mountain. I don't think that's true, but it definitely has a certain plausibility, namely because it's technically correct. But if in one pasuk you say, it's like it's like making fun of that explanation. Okay, you go up the mountain. Before you go up the mountain, go up some other place which isn't a mountain. There are people in the room who are going to say, no, the Negev also has mountains. But that's not what it says. It says, go to the Negev and then go to the mountain. Go up to the Negev and then go up to the mountain. I didn't even check, despite my, uh, my Yetzirah, I did not ask Google whether the average elevation of the area we call the Negev is higher than the average elevation of, of, of the Sinai Desert. I don't know what the answer is. I think we're not supposed to know that. It's not that important. Moshe Rabbeinu is not really referring to, it's not that great a difference. It can't be that great a difference. There are mountains in both, and there are plains in both. Uh, but the expression "alu zeh banegev va'alitem is by the by the contrast is making us realize that the word aliyah has a has a greater has a greater context, and especially after we were just told that these are the people who aren't being sent to go up; they're being sent to to visit. And then Moshe Rabbeinu says to them, "Go up to the place where you're supposed to visit." The word Aliyah appears over and over and over again in the, in, in the Pasha. After he tells them where to go, the Pasuk beginning Chafadav says what they do. Vaya alu, vaya turu et Here are the two things are combined. These are the people appointed to visit. Moshe Rabbeinu said to them to go up, and then what did they do? They went up and they visited. Okay, that makes sense. He, they were smart enough to combine the two, the two verbs. Vaya alu, vaya turu et ha'aretz, mi batzin rechob davo chamat. Vaya alu banege, vaya bo at chevron, v'sham achiman shishay v'tamay yudei anak. Uh, so they also followed the exact instructions. They went to the up to the land, and they also went up to the Negev. And they continued, and vayashuvu mitur ha'aretz. They came back from their visit. It doesn't say vayerdu. They came back from their visit. So we know what happens. There's going to be a, uh, a conflict here based on their, on their report. After describing what they saw, which is actually a positive report, they then begin to point out the difficulties. Etc. And then Kalev realizes that something is going wrong. They haven't really said anything yet, but but he can feel it. Pasuk Lamid, Vayahas Kalev et Amen Moshe Vayomer, Alon na Alev Yarashnu Ataki Achon Nuchal La. This Pasuk is so 
dramatic that it became a, 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 um, a, a slogan for all sorts of, not just Aliyah movements, but anytime you want to get someone to do something great, so you write on a flag and say, Alona Aleh, the, the repetition, of course, indicates that. Kalev says to Am Yisrael, no one has said yet, we're not going to go there, but he realized something was going on. He says, Alona Aleh, Ve'yarash Nootav, Ve'ha Anashim, Pasuk Lamed Aleph, Asher Alu Imo, the people who had gone up with Kalev, Amru, Lo Nuchal La'alot, El Ha'am, Ki Chazaku Mimeno. This is the only time that the spies, in their language, use the verb la'alot. Moshe Rabbeinu says to them to go up. Kalev says, let's go up. This is the only time where they use the verb. Of course, they use it in the negative. Lo nuchal la'alot. Vayotziu dibata aretz asher taru otal b'nei Yisrael. They then spread the, uh, the Lashon Hara of the land which they had taru, which they had visited, by saying, ha'aretz asher Avarnu va latur ota the land that we unless we already have met the combined phrase laalot latur they say haaretz asher avarnu ba the land that we passed through in order to visit eretz ochelat yoshvei b'cholam asher inu b'tochan shemidot and they'll never use the word aliyah uh, aliyah again there's and and there are more examples of the word which we'll get to. Uh, through the next two prakim, the next parak and a half. There is, you really get the impression that this word aliyah is being used in this parsha in a manner of tension. In other words, you're constantly switching from one word to another. Clearly, Kalev is pushing it, and they say, and then you find that even though Moshe Rebbeinu tells them to lalot, when they describe what they're doing, they're always saying, Avarnu, Banu, once they say Banu, once they say Avarnu, I think Avarnu is even a more, uh, uh, less dramatic word than Banu. When we come, we just sort of pass through on our, on our way to other places. And uh, this continues on throughout, uh, throughout, throughout the, whole, the whole Pasha. The question is, what does the word Aliyah, Aliyah actually mean in this, in this context? Um, if we look uh, throughout the Torah, so there are a few places, not many, where the word Aliyah means to to ascend, literally, uh, not that many, uh, but there are there are a few places like that. And that's okay because sometimes words really mean what they told us they mean in first grade. Uh, other than that, you have the following uh, cases. Uh, this is the first place. Parshat Shlach is the first place where it says Sheolim Eretz Yisrael. You have many examples beforehand where it says Olim Mi Eretz Mitzrayim. God is he who otanu otam mitzrayim, not necessarily to Eretz Yisrael. For instance, in cases of complaints, of trunot, in Rifidim and Datan Vavriram, we're not talking about going to Israel. We're saying otanu from Egypt to come to the desert. And again, I'm getting used to it already. I resisted the urge to ask Mr. Google whether the average elevation in the Sinai Desert is higher than the average elevation in Egypt. I'm pretty sure it is in this case. Egypt is almost completely on, on sea level. And the desert has mountains in many places. Vincent has Sinai. But it's clearly not the truth. There's no reason why 
literally speaking, the mitalonim, the complainers, would say, why did you raise us? They weren't complaining about the altitude. They weren't suffering from a lack of oxygen by being where they were. God has, how do we say this in English? What did God do to us in Egypt? None of us say God raised us out of Egypt. What are we saying? He took us out of Egypt. Why is it called very often? Not always, but in most cases, in the Torah, when speaking about what God did in Egypt, it says, I'll quote a few other examples, because I think they're relevant uh, 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 in the VM as well. What does the word mean? It means to take out. Why is it called Aliyah? If it's not, it's not important that you're going up. Another example connected Dafka to Egypt, but not in the same context. The first place where Rashi does mention the brothers of Yosef, Yosef, after he has um, made himself known. You hear me translating from the Hebrew. Uh, how would one say that in English? Right? He revealed. Thank you very much. Um, I'm not used to um, talking more than two sentences in a row in English. Uh, after Yosef has revealed himself to his brothers, he sends them back to, to Yaakov Avinu with good tidings. alu el avi. There, there is a Rashi that says mikanch el But in the other, when, when it says that that God is ma'alet Rashi does not comment on it. Clearly, it doesn't mean that he picked them up higher. It means he broke their bonds. The word aliyah there indicates that they're escaping, that they're breaking out, that they're being redeemed. In other words, what does the word aliyah mean in that context? Why is God who because it required force. The aliyah there is that God made the effort to spring you from your captivity. We would use the verb out rather than up in English. But you would say that the, the Jews didn't leave Egypt. They got out of Egypt. They, they, there was something that needed to be broken for them for them to get out. And this is already indicated in what Paro said in the very beginning, which is another place where it says, Aliyah me'eretz Mitzrayim, but it's Paro here, not God. Paro, the very beginning of Pashat Shmot, is worried about, the new Paro is worried about the, is worried about the Jews. Pentikrena milchama, v'nasapu algam sameinu, ve'alam min ha'aretz. There'll be a war, ve'alam min ha'aretz. So really, is Paro worried the fact that the Jews will be going up? And if the Jews will say, no, no, we're not going up to Eretz Yisrael, but we decided to leave Egypt, but we're going to go down to whatever, to the mines of, uh, of, of, of Central Africa. Paro would say, oh, that's okay. I'm worried about you going up. No, he means v'alam in Aretz, they'll escape, they'll, they'll break out of, they're not yet in slavery, but they're whatever, they're, they're, they're against the will, as the Midrashim say, that they weren't allowed to leave. And he's worried about the fact that they're going to break the connection they have here. The word aliyah there is used in the sense of you're going up, meaning you're getting out of something. Another example, that, that's one common use of the word aliyah, uh, specifically about Egypt, over and over and over again. Where it means, uh, it means to be to be freed from where from where they were. Uh, another example uh, is uh, a number of places where two people meet. For instance, Eliyahu uh, Hanavi in Perek Aleph of of Lachim Bet. 
is doing what Eliyahu does best. He's hiding out in the middle of the wilderness. And uh, God wants him to, to get to work. God wants him to meet somebody. And, and so it says, Umalach Hashem, Perek Aleph Pasugimu. Umalach Hashem diber el Eliyah Hatishbi. Kum alei likrat malachei melech shomron. Uh, the king, Achaziah, is sending uh, messengers uh, to Fur He's sending them to go to foreign gods in foreign countries to, to get help. Kum alei likrat malachei melech shomron. Now, again, someone might think that perhaps when the angel was talking to Eliyahu, he was sitting. That's theoretically possible. If it was true, it still would not justify the emphasis that said here, kum alei. What does it mean, kum alei likrat malachei melech shamon? It means don't go and see them. Don't go and meet them, but go and confront them. Kum alei means go and intercept them. There's a certain element of force. And sure enough, uh, a few psukim later, pasuk vav, vayashuba malachim, vayomar lehem hazashavtem, they, after meeting Adel, they go back to the king and don't fulfill their mission. And so pasuk vav, it says, vayimuelav ish alalikrateinu. So here, they didn't see him getting up in the sitting position. It was Isha Lalikrateinu. We were walking on the road, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden somebody, Alalikrateinu. Were they actually on a higher piece of ground, and he was on a lower piece of ground? It's possible, but I think irrelevant. Isha Lalikrateinu means all of a sudden we bumped into, or somebody bumped into us. The idea, the Aliyah here means, and this is, it's perfectly normal Hebrew once you get used to it. I think we all know this is true, just we haven't thought about it yet. It's perfectly normal Hebrew, at least in Tanakh, to say, is he suddenly appeared in front of us and surprised us. He grabbed us. He confronted us. It means confrontation in all, in all of these cases. That's another, that's another example. A third example, very common in war, throughout Sefer Yehoshua and Sefer Shoftim, the beginning of Sefer Shoftim, when the Jews go to conquer a city, him... Olim alav. Hem alu al yericho, hem alu al ha'ai. Now again, I admit, at least in the beginning of Yahushua, the Jews are encamped in one of the lowest points in Eretz Yisrael. They're All these cities are at least the beginning to be up. Maybe not yericho, but afterwards they start to be in the hill country and in the higher hills. So again, it's true shehem olim, but it's used so many times, I'm not going to... Uh, there's a certain element here which I, I'm wondering about, but I know my time is limited. Uh, any example I bring, someone can claim, no, no, he's really, he's really moving up. Part of what I'm trying to prove is proven by the fact that there are dozens of examples, which I have to actually quote the dozens of examples. There's no need, trust me. We don't have time to quote them all. There's Pasuk after Pasuk. Almost every single war in the conquest of Eretz Israel is an Aliyah. One example which I think is, is, is extraordinary Kalev conquers Hebron. It says, Allah al Hebron. And right afterwards it says, Vayelech Vaisa al Devir. I don't know what Devir is exactly. I, uh, this morning, trying to be more uh, accurate, so I looked around for a geographer. 
I know that there more, there's more than one possible, like any biblical city, other than Yerushalayim and Chavon. Uh, it could be at a number of places. But nonetheless, I thought to take a chance, so I met Rabbi Yol Ben-Nun in the uh, hall, knowing that he has a, without even knowing him, but knowing he has a very definite opinion, I said to him, what's higher, Chavon or Dvir? So he said to me, well, uh, uh, I said, no, no, I don't, don't, I'm not asking you as an archaeologist. Whatever it could be, could it possibly be higher than Hebron? Dvir is in Drom HaChevron. It's south of Hebron. The hills are going down. Wherever it is, it's lower than Hebron. Hebron is one of the highest points in Eretz Israel. I admit, Hebron, the city, is Emek Hebron. It's not uh, Kiryat Arba, and it's not Kibat HaChassin. It's the city of Hebron, so it's a little lower. I'm sure it's higher than Dvir. But he pointed out to me, which is true, that when you get to the place which he thinks is Dvir, because it's the more or less, uh, something like 60% of archaeologists have decided on a place which is different than what Albright said in 1928, and what they used to think before, and there are three places which could be Dvir. It's true that it's on a very distinct hill, which is not surprising because all cities in Eretz Israel are on a hill. That's where you build cities. It's natural defense. So when you actually get there, it's true, and someone's going to argue, of course, to conquer a town is la'alot, because you have to la'alot. But it's really missing the point. They're not really describing exactly how they walked to get there. The word la'alot al-ir means to, means to conquer it. That's what the word means, and I'm, I'm assuming a good translation will say that. A more extreme version of that, I gave a share this week on Sunday, uh, in, uh, on Shimshon, what do Plishtim do when they meet Shimshon, specifically when he's uh, tied up with one bound or an, one bind or another in the, the bed of Lila? What does she call to him? Plishtim Alecha Shimshon. It's not the Poal Aliyah, it's not the Bib Aliyah, but Plishtim Alecha Shimshon. There we know what it means. There's no, really no question. But it doesn't mean that they're jumping on you from on top. It means they're, they're on you, meaning they got you. They, well, that also. Uh, she was on to him, but they, uh, they, were on, they were on top of him in the sense that they were attacking him. It's, it's, a, it's a cry of warning. You have to, it's a call to arms. It means you're being attacked. That's what to be higher means to, 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 to attack something. A very dramatic example, I think, is found in the beginning of Sefer uh, Shoftim. Of, uh, Perik Aleph, Perik Bet, Pasuk Aleph. Perik Aleph summarizes all the um, failures of the Jewish tribes, what they haven't conquered. This tribe didn't conquer this, this tribe didn't conquer this, this tribe didn't conquer this. And Pasuk Aleph begins, Vaya'al Malach Hashem Mena Gilgal El Abochim. That might mean to go up, since Gilgal is low and the Bochim might be higher, but it's not important. Vayomer, he's talking about God, the Malach. A'ale etchem im Mitzrayim. Um, he says to them, speaking God's name, I have lifted you up from Mitzrayim and brought you. He's coming to complain. He's saying to them, you haven't done a good job of, uh, of conquering the land. He's accusing them of being not conquerors. And therefore the Pasuk is saying, I brought you up out of Mitzrayim, and now I expect you to continue the work, and you're just sliding along, whatever is easy you take, and what is not easy you don't take. Shoftim perek alef pasuk alef, Yoshua has died, and now they have to continue the war without him. Vayihi achreimot Yoshua, vayishalu b'nei Yisrael b'ashem leimor, 
they ask they ask for divine guidance because they don't have Yoshua. Who should be of the different tribes? Who should be the first to go up against the Knani? Where, where the Knani live? It's an important question. We'll talk about it in, in, in we're going to talk about it in Pashat in, in our Pasha in Pashat Shlach. But they don't necessarily live on the top of the hills. In fact, the Pasuk in our Pasha says that they live on the coast. Other Psukim say they live in the valleys. They actually never live in the hills. They're either in the valleys or on the coast. There's no reason to say Miya Alelanu if it doesn't mean who will who will attack. That's what it means. It means Miya Alelanu. And, and in, in, in case we didn't notice it, it does it three or four times in the next Pasuk. Vayom Hashem Yehuda Ya'ale. It's the only verb used to describe going out, going out, going out to war. What does the word, in fact, aliyah mean in all of these contexts? Why, in, why to such different contexts are they always called aliyah? What does the word aliyah always signify from the simple explanation of climbing a mountain to all the other, to all the other uh, examples? It means very simply exertion. It means making an effort as opposed to the difference between going and going up is that going up you have to overcome something. So obviously gravity is the simplest thing that one has to overcome. But it's used in a more or less metaphorical manner anywhere movement involves overcoming an obstacle. And sometimes it's a purely psychological obstacle like Eliyahu meeting the shluchim, he just—he doesn't. No, no one's actually stopping him, but he's heading for a confrontation, and therefore, who ole alehem? He's not attacking. No, he's attacking them. He's not attacking them physically with arms, as the as, as the plishtim attacked Shimshon, or as Kalev attacked Chevron and Tvir. But he's he's confronting them. He's coming with determination. He's coming with 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 a goal. He's coming. He's not wandering. It's the exact opposite of the word. Latul. Latul means to wander about. If you're a spy, so you're going to see everything. You're basically a tourist. Uh, you're, you're walking around. As Moshe Rabbeinu says to them, check here, check there, look over there, see if they're, they're what, see all the cities, see all the land. That's to wander about. La'alot is you have a very specific goal to get to that goal. It's a goal ahead of you, and ahead, which we interpret correctly as being in front, but it always also means above because that's why it's ahead. It's, 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 it's where you're not yet, and you have to make an effort in order to go. So the word aliyah always refers to not merely the difference in the physical location of where one is before and one is after, but always refers to the amount of effort needed to make, to make that take place, determination, plan, and, 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 goal, and goal-oriented. And once we realize that, that is clearly what is taking place in Pashat, in Pashat Shlach. God says, God's plan is they should go. They should go and, and, and visit that son, bring back a report, and, uh, and Moshe Rabbeinu carries that out. And these people are therefore called the people who Moshe Rabbeinu has chosen, Latur et Ta'aretz. But when he speaks to them, he instinctively knows that he has to charge them with the, with the mission. He's not simply sending them, please go to the local Makolet and bring me back a cottage cheese. He's saying, go to the foreign, enemy-occupied land, but understand when you're doing it that you are going 
La alot. In fact, the first time he says it, he leaves out. He, he supplants the word latur with the word la alot. He's the correct English word is he's giving them a charge. He's giving them a mission. And therefore, that's expressed by the word la'alot. The word la'alot in Pashat Shlach, in my opinion, is primarily, it's describing the journey, but it's primarily a word of psychology and not a word of transportation. It's not geology, it's, it's psychology. He's saying, it doesn't mean to conquer. They're not conquering in the final sense. That'll be, take place in a few months later. But it, it, it is. In other words, go out and from the, on an individual level, go out and take command, take over. You're, you're, you're beginning the conquest of Eretz Israel, and therefore you are going to La'alot. And what's interesting is that they do it. It says that when they set out, Vaya'alu, Vaya'turu et Ha'aretz. They set out to La'alot. They set out to take charge of where they're going. And it's not necessarily higher. Parts of it will be, parts of it will be lower. Vaya'turu et Ha'aretz. Vaya'alu banegev, which is the first step. Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, Alu banegev, alu baha. The first thing they meet, they're in Kadesh Banea, south of Eretz Yisrael, south of today's Negev, and they, the first thing they go is into the Negev. Vaya'alu banegev, they're still going up. And at some point, when they have to describe later on where they went, they say, Vaya'asher banuba, asher avarnuba. They themselves have forgotten, they've lost the sense, Shehem Asukan, Aliyah, but they've only done Havara Ubiya. I suspect that the point at which this takes place, but this cannot be proven, I suspect the point at which the, the, the Miraglim lose the sense of purpose and mission is when they meet people. Banegev, you don't meet a lot of people. Um, we, I, we know it's the two reasons. One is because that's what they themselves concentrate on when they say Ephes, but the land is a wonderful land. Ephes, pasuk kavchet, ki az ha'am ha'yoshev ba'aretz. V'arim b'tzorot gadot mo'od v'gam yidei ha'anak ra'inu sham. They say the Ephes, the but, is when the people are very fierce. Uh, but even more importantly, or perhaps more uh, dramatically, um, is an interesting phrase that appears um, when they uh, refuse to, uh, to, to deliver the message that Kalev suggests. Kalev says, Kalev says to them and to all of Israel, let us go up, let us mount the challenge. And they answer, alu imo. As I pointed out, the only place where alu is said about them, asher alu imo. I think that means that they started out to do aliyah. Which is an unusual phase. Because if aliyah technically means to go up, you go up, going up in altitude, so you can say it about the country, but la'alot el ha'am is unusual. It doesn't, even as a metaphor, it seems a little bit off. Lo'olim el ha'am, olim el ha'aretz, that's the whole context of Pashat Shlach. So I think here, it's really indicating that the reason why lo'nuchal la'alot is because, not because of the height of the mountain of Yerushalayim, or of Hebron, but because of the metaphoric height of the people, and therefore I think the Torah actually says they started out okay. Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, but then they concluded, and subsequently they, they, they can no longer relate to the verb at all, 
and they will say, Ha'aretz asher avarnu bala turota, eretz ochleret yoshvei, the land that we transverse, that we pass through, they'll never use the word, the word aliyah again. My point is that the, the conflict described in Shlach is a conflict of spirit, a conflict of personality. And that's why I would suggest, both in our own usage and what Torah indicates, we refer to this as Chet HaMavagrim. The other complaints of the Jews in the desert, with one exception, which I'll get to, were the Am. The Am, people were thirsty, people were hungry, people might have been despondent, and the sin is called Chet HaEgel, Chet There's a topic, a real topic, which is in conflict between Moshe Rabbeinu and the people, and they're not, they're not doing well, and Moshe Rabbeinu is doing better. This we call this Chetam Avagnim. I think one of the reasons is, pay attention to the fact that the Torah lists 12 names. And it's really irrelevant. There's no reason why we need to know the names of these people. They're not significant. They're Kulam Fatim. They're all leaders, but they're not the leaders that have mentioned any place else. They weren't the leaders who did the census in the beginning of of uh, Abba who are mentioned by name. They're not the leaders who gave out, who will give out Eretz Yisrael in the end of the 40 years in Pashat Pinchas two weeks later. The people only did this. Their names don't indicate anything to us. We don't know them. But I think they're listed by name because the conflict was with them as individuals. Now, of course, all Amisar got involved, or else they wouldn't have been punished. They, they infected the people. So in the end, yeah, it's the sin of the Jews. But the cause of the sin is not mass rebellion. The cause of the sin is the lack of human spirit, which by definition is individual. Each person had his own uh, lack of determination. And therefore, the Pasuk says, Moshe Rabbeinu picked them, probably for a good reason, as it says, Kulam. Uh, he, he, it says why he picked them. He picked them because he thought they were the best people he could possibly pick, in his in his in, in his opinion. Called Nasi Bahem. It was the beginning of the pasuk. Um, God said, "Call Nasi Bahem," and then it says, "Kulam and Hashem, Rashi Bnei Yisrael Hema." They were leaders in some sense. Uh, I think Moshe Rabbeinu apparently didn't choose that well, but maybe he chose the best he could find. And they were chosen because of their qualities. They weren't necessarily hereditary princes who were other people just a few weeks before in Pashat and Nassau. They were chosen for their particular uh, qualities, characteristics, and that was their failure. That because they failed in the end, having met the Ki'az Ha'am, having met the Yidei Ha'anak, and that's where they failed, and that's really what takes place. How do we know that takes place again? Because Kalev realizes that. What does Kalev attempt to do? He attempts to raise their spirit. Alona Aleh. He's he's giving a he's giving a, a an enthusiastic drasha. Kalev is not speaking strategy. He's not saying, oh, you know, I was there also when I found a good a good path, or they're not so tall. He doesn't argue with the facts. What does he simply do? He tries to rouse them. It's a rousing speech before battle. Kalev instinctively knows before they've even said anything, which is what's really interesting about Kalev. They haven't gotten to the point yet. They just said, you know, there are a lot of tall people there. And Kalev realizes where we're going. And he says, Alona Aleh, we should uh, we should rouse ourselves. Alona Aleh, we should all rouse ourselves. And I guess he's speaking to them, especially especially you. And they say, no. 
לא נוכל לעלות כי חזק הוא ממנו. They're saying it's just impossible, it can't be done. And Kalev is trying to get them to don't, he tries again, the verb uses vayahas, Kalev et ta'am, an unusual word. Whatever it means, it means to to give a drasha. Vayas, he tried to spiritize them, to, I just made up that word, to lahalhivotam, to enthusiize them, to inspire them. I no longer have to speak grammatically correct English, I just take a shorish and let it fly out. He was trying to enthusiize them. Please write that down. Someday it'll become an English word, and you heard it from me. You heard it from me first. And the uh, this explains the end. Uh, so far, what I said is, I think it's pshat. It's not that dramatically true. I think everybody probably instinctively understood that it was more or less true. I just uh, made it a little bit more, myself, I made it more dramatic than it needed to be. The next part is, is I think, uh, is I think more, has a better connection. And this explains the end of the Pasha. The, uh, after it's all over, God has told them what's going to happen. They're all going to die in the desert. The 10 spies die immediately. And then God says, you're all going to die. 40 years, it'll take a long time, but none of you are going to Eretz Israel. And so the Jewish people have a very specific reaction. It's He explains to them what's taking place, and there's a total change of heart. These people had been crying, bochim, they were crying in their, in their, out, of, out of despair, having the spies brought them to, to such a peak of depression. But after Moshe Rabbeinu tells them what's going to take place, Vayitablu ha'am me'od, pasuk mem, Vayashkimu baboker, Vayaalu el rosh ha'al leymor, Hinenu ve'alinu el ha'makom asher amar Hashem, Ki chatanu. What takes place over the night, the next morning they get up, they they changed their plans. True, they've trained. They've changed their mentality. Few psukim earlier, not in their words, but in the words of the spies, lo alot. And here the people, some people, many people, They actually go up, but there's a mountain. There is a mountain. So they're physically going up, and they say there's a parallelism here and again I'm not sure what the geography looks like but the Torah is telling us that they're walking up but they're also saying we will ascend meaning Eretz Israel, not the mountain that's found in Kadesh Barnea now of course we know what takes place Moshe Rabbeinu says to them don't go switch of roles yesterday they were saying Kaleb is saying, Now they're saying, And Moshe Rabbeinu says, This is the, I, I lost my count, I think it's the ninth Poal Aliyah in this Pasha. The entire Pasha is about Aliyah. So they disagree and they, they pay no attention to him. And they all die. The word Vayapilu, difficult word. Rashi says it means. Uh, it means Lashon Chozek. Here's a second pshat from the Tanchuma. 
Rashi says Vayapilu means they made a special effort. Lalot Bahar. Not only were they now making an effort, a concentrated, determined effort to overcome something, they were making an especially. It's Vayapilu Lalot is Vayalu Vayalu. It's Alona Ale. It's they were they were they were they were great of spirit. But it but it doesn't succeed. So this end of the Pasha is meant to be the opposite of the first part of the Pasha. Kalev has said, so I'm going to now criticize Kalev. Not personally, but one might think. These people took Kalev seriously. Kalev had said to them, In modern terms, what did he say to them? In modern, I'm not giving a, this, this shiur has nothing to do with contemporary history. Has nothing to do with Aliyah. It has nothing to do with other points of contemporary history, except that it does. But I'm not intending it to do that. So, but in contemporary history, what's the parallel of Alona Aleh If you have enough spirit, you can succeed. That's what he said to them. He said, "You're afraid? Oh, it's true. They're giants and you're midgets." Remember what they had said: We felt like we were grasshoppers next to them. They view us as grasshoppers, and we agree. That's what the Moriah Glimmer said. So Kaleb doesn't argue with that. What he's saying is, what difference does it make? Does he say, what difference does it make? Hashem yilachem lachem? No. He, he, he espoused the theory, a very great theory, a very ennobling, very enthusiastic, very inspiring theory. If you want to do aliyah, if you're determined, and you believe in what you're doing, you can overcome, you, you're willing to overcome obstacles, you will overcome any obstacles. So the next morning, after a couple of messages from God, they get up and they say, Kaleb was right. Moshe Rabbeinu says to them, no, 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 it's very difficult. There are, there are Knanim there, there are Amalekim there. It's not a good idea. What do they say to him? Tishma oznecham asha Kaleb omer. Vayapilu. We're determined. We believe in ourselves. Im tirtzu, ein agada. And what happens? Doesn't work. It's not so true. Uh, I'm not criticizing Herzl in any sense, but lo tamid im tutsu. B'pamim im tutsu zadayin agata. So lo tamid olech. Moshe Rabbeinu tries to explain to them why that's going to take place. The tension is the same tension as to the conflict between not the facts. We're not talking about should you go up or should you go down. We're talking about the spiritual, meaning psychological determination that one brings to a certain a certain action. Now, in the case of the Mapilim, there's a very interesting thing. They actually went up a mountain. There's got to be a mountain there. There has to be a Roshaha. There has to be a summit. And that particular mountain, I have no idea which mountain it was, somewhere, for some strange reason, from where they were in Kadesh Barnea, the direction they're heading is to Eretz Israel, there was a mountain on the way. And Vayered Pasuk Memhei Vayered Amaleki Bakni Yoshev Baharahu Vayakum Vayaktum Ad Choma. Mamish destroyed them. Was there really a mountain there? There has to be. The Torah says there was a mountain there. So I'm not allowed to wonder whether the Pasuk is true, but I cannot help wondering whether there was really, really a mountain there. Because are the Kanani and the Amaleki actually living on top of this mountain? As the Pasuk says so? Strangely enough, a few Pasukim beforehand, and for no particular reason, because it's not relevant to anything, you have the following uh, you have the following pasuk. After God says to them that they're not going anywhere, and therefore they should turn around and go back. 
I'm looking for it. I'll find it really quickly. Um, someone has moved it in my in my seder, in my chumash. Um, in the perek Yudalit pasuk chafei. I remember without going into the details, God told the Jews twice that then once to Moshe and once he told him to say it again to the Jews that they're not going to make it. After the first time, it says none of you, none of them are going to, they're all going to die. Va'avdi kalev pasuk chafdalit va'avdi kalev ekev hayta ruach acheret imo. I forgot to mention this. What was so special about Kalev? Why did God like Kalev so much? That he would get a chalek in Eretz and not die? Ruach acheret imo. The difference between Kalev and the other Meraglim is Ruach, his, his spirit. His, his, he believes in Aliyah. By Melech Arai, by Biotib al-Arat, Shubah, Shabu, Bazaru, Yoshenna. Pasuk Chafei, Veha Amaleki, Veha Knaani, Yoshev, Va'emek. The pshat is, you can't go this way because there, there were bad people there, so go back to Yamsuf. The pasuk says that the Amalekite, these two people out of the many peoples who they could have mentioned, there were seven peoples of Knan plus the Amalekite, that's already eight. Who knows, there was also some Midianim in, in, in the area, maybe some other people. But Amalekite, Yoshvim, in this parsha, Yoshvim, Ba'emek. Fifteen psukim later, it says that they want to go up, so they go up a mountain. I'm like, the same two groups, Hayoshev Baha came down and killed them. What mountain? Who put a mountain there? They're in front of an Amek, apparently. That's why God said to them, go back to Yamsuf, because the Amek is dangerous. Just to complicate it a little bit more, when uh, when they first set out the Baraglim, and, and, and Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them where to go, when they come back, they're describing the geography. And they say, Amalek Yoshev Be'eretz Hanegev. Hachiti Ba'ibusi Ha'bamori Yoshev Bahar. Va'knani Yoshev Al Hayam Va'yad Ha'yaden. So just to confuse us a little bit more, people who live on mountains, in, in the beginning of the Pasha, I mean, this is not even a contradiction, but it's interesting. The people who sit on the mountains are Chiti Ba'ibusi Ha'bamori. They're not involved in the second part of the story. Amalek lives in Eretz HaNegev, which is beyond the immediate mountain which you're in front of. It's, it's in Eretz Israel. And the Knani, Bechlal, they live in the Shvela. Al Chofayam, Baal, Hayavdein. You can't get any lower than that in Eretz Israel, the two places. It's not a question. You know, We all know if you read afterwards uh, Sefer Shoftim and then Sefer Shmuel, uh, there are Knanim all over the places. You know, It's not as neat as but in this parsha, it was very neat. Nobody should be on top of a mountain in front of the Ma'apilim. So again, I don't know exactly. I, I, I'm sure there was a mountain there, because the Torah couldn't describe it in any other way. But it's not the point. God put a mountain there in order to, in order to indicate what's taking place. They were willing to climb a mountain. It would be unfortunate for the story, not for the real life, it would be unfortunate for the story if when the Jews decided, against God's will, to charge into Eretz Israel, they were on a decline. That, that, that would mess up the dramatic point of the story. So God put a mountain there. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And then he took the Amalekim and the Knanim, those two people, which very clearly he indicated for no reason. I don't know why he even says it. Yoshvei Ba'emek. The word Emek here means not have. If it would be in some other context, it might just be a little valley. But when you have two psukim, Ten psukim apart. One says Ham and one says Amek. They're opposites. 
So God then somehow took the people who were sitting in some kind of an amek nearby and put them on top of the house. Why? Because it, it, it's drama. He's writing, he's, writing, he's writing a play. The Jews have to surge up the mountain, sweating, showing great determination, charging up the mountain. And they're going to determine that that's not the way to conquer mountains. It doesn't work. The Amalekiu Oktani, who all of a sudden showed up there, simply came down and just wiped them out by, by, by Yaktum Ad 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 Choma. Total, total, uh, total destruction. Today we use the term Ad Choma to mean total destruction. Rashi is not so sure. The Tagamuku says that Choma is the name of a place. Because it says Ad Choma. It's a funny expression. The Tagam Yonatan says it, it means what we think it means. It means that they were, they were destroyed till they were destroyed. They were simply wiped out by these Amalekim. So I think here it's really clear. It's clear because there's no other way to read it that even though there's a certain confluence between the actual geographic description Again, I don't think any pasuk here is saying that there wasn't a mountain. It's not a metaphor, but it's meant to be understood as a metaphor. There really apparently was a mountain, but the story is not about how difficult it is to climb up mountains. Maximum, you get a cable car. When I was young, we climbed Matsada. Nobody climbs Matsada anymore. You take the cable car. Moshe Rabbeinu could have made a cable car. That wasn't the point. The point was they had to climb a mountain, and they were willing to climb a mountain, and so therefore, that's what took place with the Ma'apilim. Now, the question is, is it true or is it not true? Is, in fact, the most important thing the spirit, as Kalev argued, or, or, or not? Why, why did Ma'apilim not, uh, not succeed? So the answer is, and this, I think we all understand this, the answer is that it's complicated. Uh, you need two things. It's a necessary ingredient. God is not going to laha'alot otam El Eretz Israel, who Ya'ale Otami Eretz Mitzrayim. The Jews didn't leave Egypt, they were in fact dragged out of Egypt. God, there, it's not nice to say these things about God, so theologically you have to say, but God made an exertion. God, in His great spirit, dragged the Jews, broke the bonds, and took them out of Egypt. They were passive. But He's not going to drag them into, into Eretz Israel. They have to conquer Eretz Israel. And therefore, we now understand what happened in the 40 years. Uh, there's a constant discussion theologically among Mepharshim, starting already in Chazal, in uh, you take the two biggest Chataim of the Midbar, Egel and, uh, Egel and Meraglim. Chet Egel, God forgave them. Chet Meraglim, end of the project. Okay, your children can go after Moshe Rabbeinu begs, but you guys are not going to go in. And we all have a little bit of a feeling that, you know, Chet is probably worse. I mean, Sabah Azar. Chet Aglim was, uh, they were a little bit chicken. So, uh, give them a speech. Two speeches, three speeches. Somehow, uh, wh- why are they punished so severely? And the answer, I think, is the discussion is not about Chet. In other words, it's not about actions. The discussion is about personality. And therefore, it struck Chazal very much that they were crying bochim. The fact that they cried, Shivasa Betamas, it would be Bechiyal Dorot. The fact that they were crying upset God more than the fact that they were refusing. They had refused many times. Almost most of the Tlunot of Sefer Shemot and Sefer Bamidbar include the line, Why did you bring us here? Let's go back, in one way or another. They do this all the time. And, but they weren't crying. The crying meant that they were without spirit. And, and God said, I'm not going to take you because I'm not going to take you. 
because I'm not going to take you. You have to go yourselves. You're not going to go. You don't want to go. So there's nothing to do with you. And therefore the gzeva is that you will die here. Now, that's a necessary condition. You have to lichbosh et You have to be willing to lichbosh et The point of the sipur, of the ma'apilim, is that it's not a sufficient condition. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu says very clearly what the problem is. When he tells them not to go, Lama zeh, pasuk memalef, perik yudan pasuk memalef, Lama zeh atem ovrim bet pi Hashem. So this could be understood simply, you're doing a, a chet, and you'll be punished. But the next line, Vehi lo titzlach, it won't succeed, al ta'alu ki ein Hashem bekir bechem. That's a theological statement, which maybe wasn't necessary. God says don't do it, don't do it. And if you go against God's will, maybe he'll kill you. He's not saying that. He's saying you won't succeed. Your theory is wrong. Because if God is not with you, not that God will kill you. The Amaleki will kill you. But if God is not with you, you don't have the strength to succeed. It's not true that the spirit alone will uh, 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 conquer any obstacle. It's not true that 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 determination conquers all. It's a necessary condition, but to succeed, you also need that your spirit should be the spirit of God, the spirit which accompanied, which is accompanied by God. And since God is not bekir bechem, he lotitzlach. I suspect now there might be a deeper point here. What happens when a person feels inspired? He, he's uh, he's heard a good speech. He had a good Moshe uh, Shmuz, and he goes out to conquer the world because. It's 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 the it's the it's the destiny. It's the it's the tzav hasha'ah. What does he feel inside him? He feels his own spirit, and he generally, if he's half a religious person or a spiritual person, he thinks that he has ruach Hashem betocha. We we interpret that of as being ruach Hashem. In fact, again in Sefer Shoftim, when people do great things, for instance Shimshon. Shimshon is in my mind because I gave a show on Sunday. When Shimshon does great things, what does it say? But it's lachalav ruach Hashem. So we say, oh, it means Zuch HaKadosh. But what does it actually mean? It, it's, it's psychologically the same thing as people feel all the time. Uh, when you feel inspired, uh, uplifted, you're, you're, you're on the, the wings of history, that's Zuch HaShem. You, uh, you've been inspired by something greater than yourselves. And so here we say to them, you feel inspired, but it's not real. And just the fact that you have a psychological determination You've, you've been brainwashed by one way or another. That does, that's not the success. The success of, of Allah na'aleh is ki Hashem And sometimes it's a mistake. And sometimes it's really it's really false, which is why the Mapilim is such an interesting pasha historically in, in arguments uh, till this day. They're constantly being dragged up the Mapilim to say as to whether or not the fact that certain people believe in their destiny, will they in fact succeed or do we, or do we need to be Talking secular terms now, do we need to be uh, to be practical? Because the mapilim, in fact, it's correct reading. Mapilim are people who think that if they really are willing to make a great sacrifice, it has to succeed. And the pasha says it doesn't have to succeed. What really has to succeed is in Hashem Bekirbachem. Hashem will be Bekir. If you don't have the spirit, then God won't be there. He's uh, he's he, he God dwells on people with feelings of greatness. But if he chooses not to, because he doesn't like you today. Then, then it won't work at all, and that's really what happens, and that's why he really thinks it says that they didn't just lose the war. They didn't have a chance. They just, he just wiped them out. They didn't have a chance because they were just a couple of people walking up a hill, and the hill fell on their heads, despite what they thought was 
the great, the great, uh, the great, the great spirit, the great spirit involved. Um, there was one other uh, indication of this point. I think that that that's really the main point. I think is the difference between the original discussion and the discussion of the Mapilim. Um, you you might point out correctly that there is one sin in the Midbar other than the Miraglim, which is very personal and not and not national, and that of course is Korach. But Korach, it's really true. The people didn't get involved there. They were just spectators. Only afterwards, when they complained to Moshe Rabbeinu, they get involved. But they were just asked to be spectators. There really was only Korach against here. Here you have a case where it's Am Yisrael against Moshe Rabbeinu or against God, and it's still called personal because it's the personal spirit embodied by the Miraglim which do it. So I don't think that bothers me. Uh, but when God tells them that they're going to die, Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, goes and saves them, or at least saves their children. Um, and what does he say? What, what's his argument? So we, we, we know Moshe Rabbeinu's arguments by heart. He always goes and says to them, you know, it be a goyim. He did the same thing in uh, in, in Cheta Ego. It's a little bit different here. Moshe Rabbeinu says in Perek Yudah, Pasuk Yudgim, Vayom Moshe Adonai, V'shamu Mitzrayim, Ki ha'elita b'chochacha et ha'am hazem mikirbo. This is the Mitzrayim, We'll hear which mitzvim, those who from their midst you he'ela bechoach. Now you'll say to me, why does Moshe Rabbeinu have to explain here explicitly what I've just explained about the whole pasha? The word lahalot always means bechoach. The answer is because it's because they're mitzvim. They don't understand the good shir. But then you have to really explain it. But the mitzvim, they were he'elita mehem bechoach. They really saw that God was dragging the Jews bechoach yat chazaka. He took them out. And they will say, "Be'amru el yoshvei ha'aretz azot," meaning about these people. Ki atad onay bekerba mazeh et ayin ayin nara atad Hashem anachav made alehem ba'anam nanu rotalechem tzayim yomah. But either by matat amazeh kishachad be'mur goyim ashishmu shemachalim o mibuti yecholet Hashem. The Moshe Rabbeinu says the Mitzrayim saw how you could drag the people out of Mitzrayim. Therefore, what are they going to conclude that God was incapable of? The powerful people of Canaan were stronger than God. That's a classic chol Hashem argument. And he quotes the Gemur Midot, and he says, What did Moshe Rabbeinu ask God to do? He said, bring them into Eretz Yisrael the way you took them out of Mitzrayim. Because otherwise, who will the Egyptians blame for the defeat of the Jews? He'll blame you. You were powerful enough to defeat us, but you weren't powerful enough to defeat to defeat the Canaanim. My argument is that God doesn't plan, at least not in the visible way, to defeat the Canaanim. The Jews have to defeat the Canaanim. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Nasata, just as you've carried them till here, keep carrying them. Okay? They're weak-willed people. They don't have the spiritual fortitude to... to Enter and conquer Eretz Israel. That's been proven. But that's not a problem. So, second, second rate. They won't do it. You'll do it. Nasata. Carry them forward. And God says, Yes, no. Salachti kidvarecha, v'ulam chamani b'yamalei chvod Hashem et kol ha'aretz, kichon Hashem omrit kvodi b'toteva sh'estit m'nsayim u'dbar. They saw my power and they're not willing to carry on. So they're not going to do it. I'm going to have to wait for the next for the next generation. That's part of the same argument. In the end, God says, of course I could carry them. But 
that we're missing the point here. They have to carry themselves. The Pasha is about the, uh, the, the, the strength of a man to carry himself forward and upward. The Mapilim is about how you need more than that. But nonetheless, it's the, it's the crucial explanation of what takes place in this Pasha as opposed to all the other Pashiyot that deal with the complaints and the, uh, and the rebellions of the Jews in the desert. Blah, blah, blah.